Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have the one and only Josh Corporal joining us today. This is going to be fun. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. I'm trying to get this pulled up on my phone here. But uh, so I want to welcome my buddy Josh Corporal to the show. Josh, welcome, man. Welcome. Oh, my God. It is so good to be here, Ken. Thank you so much, man. Dude, thank you. I appreciate you jumping on here with us. And uh, like I said, you know, this is about you telling your, your life story. I started this Oh, about two and a half years ago, I've interviewed somewhere in the vicinity of 270 or 80 entrepreneurs and celebrities. And, um, you know, it's it's really about helping people get unstuck. Yep. Yeah, so, I've, been, I've been there. I know yeah, what that's man. like. Look, by the way, have, I apologize for the, joining us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, And I, by the way, I apologize for all the roosters, I'm sure that everybody's going to hear. You want me to mute myself? Because I can. Nope. Otherwise, Elvis and his friends will be singing the entire time. Dude, you're in Key West, man. That's that You said that roosters are a pretty big thing down there. There's uh, Yeah, they're called the Key West Gypsy Chickens. And wow. uh, there's like all of this history behind them. There's a lot of cockfighting down here like wow. you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. And so whenever they outlawed that, they just let the chickens go yeah. and all of these things that came from places in the Caribbean, like Haiti and Dominican Republic, and yeah, wow. made their way to made their way to Keys. That's crazy, dude. Yeah, and they just roam around. They roam around, and to be honest, uh, so the other day, like you know, I've been dealing with this for the last um, I don't know four months. All of these roosters, yeah. and I finally decided to watch some YouTube videos to understand what they're saying because they have these different calls. And oh, if you wow. can translate what roosters are saying, you can understand like what the situation is. And so I started <laughs> watching all of these YouTube videos on how to translate chicken speak. And uh, I learned a lot. Wow. Yeah. So you know what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can, so you can understand. That sounded like a jet. That didn't sound like a rooster. Yeah, we've got like the airport right over there. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, man, there's all kinds of craziness happening. To be honest, yesterday I was in the middle of an interview just like this, and yeah. right over here, about fifty feet away, in this uh, this because I'm on a porch in Key West, right? So right over yeah. there, just this naked dude just showed up and started <laughs> screaming his head off, and the cop showed up, and it was this huge deal. Like that's just <laughs> that's just what happens around here. You got to really put the blinders wow. on. <laughs> Wow, that uh, definitely will help you uh, stay focused. Yeah, it takes sure. a lot of a lot of discipline. So, so Josh, start. Let's start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go born. Steelers. Yep, yep. Born and raised, and then uh, I stayed there until high school, and I went to college over at uh, Denison University in Ohio, and from there. Uh, I never, I never really went back to Pittsburgh after that. Wow. Now do yeah. you still have family there? No, no, they all, they're all from Cleveland. So, uh, once my okay. sister and I left, they kind of migrated back towards the Cleveland area. And, uh, and now, now it's just cool to visit every once in a while and see how Pittsburgh's changed. But it's, I love that city. Yeah, dude. I, I, I have a Steelers football. Oh, look at that. Come on, man. Yeah. So, yeah did, you, um, did you ever go to Pittsburgh back when they had the, the igloo? Did you ever watch uh, any hockey games, the Penguins under the igloo? No, I know that um, the the Pittsburghians, <laughs> is that how you say it? Um, people from Pittsburgh, though, love the Penguins more than they love the Steelers. Ooh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. I mean, I've, yeah. I've traveled a lot. Yeah. Uh, and 
you know, every once in a while you see a Steelers bar in some yeah. random place, you know, yeah. um, I've never seen a penguins bar. So, right. Right. Yeah. No, I I'm with you. I've seen the Steelers bars too, but you know what? I, I found it interesting though, that, that, cause I know nothing about hockey, nothing. Um, so, you know, I, and now Columbus has, I'm in, in North or, you know, central Ohio and Columbus has a professional hockey team and I've been to a few of the games, but I still watch it. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm watching. Like, <laughs> yeah. None. Like, Oh, there's a fight. Cool. <laughs> I feel like, yeah. It's like NASCAR, right? You just, why, show what up. are they fighting over a little puck? <laughs> what the heck? So, um, so anyway, so what, tell me what it was like for you. Um, you know, growing up because here's, here's why I ask. I, I think that typically there's some person, some event, something that kind of occurs or influences us as, as children and, and kind of not determines, but pushes us in the direction of what we become as adults. So when I say that is, does anything come to mind as a kid that like, yeah, this is, this kind of pushed me in that direction. Yeah. You know, I, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I was always really creative and I used to roam around. I mean, back when there were, back when there were, uh, the like JC pennies and, and things like that. Um, I mean, there still are, but there's just few and far between. But back when my mom would go shopping at this mall, Ross park mall, you know, she would just do her shopping and I would being small, like six, seven years old, roam around the floor and just find all of these random broken pieces of hanger and, and rubber bands and little tabs that detail the sizing of things. And I used to combine them and build these tiny little machines and stuff. <laughs> and wow. Uh, and like, and, uh, and I, I, I very vividly remember that and I didn't know it at the time, but that sort of that sense of curiosity really stuck with me throughout my entire career. And I think, you know, I, I think it, it has a lot to do with what I've been able to accomplish and, and just the kind of relationships and conversations I've been able to have and stuff. So when you were, did you, um, did you like work as a teenager? Did you start working anywhere? Yeah. Well, my first job, my first job was a, I was a golf caddy. Um, which if anybody's ever done that, that's like a, it's a, it's a grueling job. It can be a grueling job sometimes. Uh, but I did that. I was a lifeguard. Um, I worked as a, uh, I worked in a rock wall. So I was, I was big into rock climbing and when I was younger. So I worked at a gym in North park called, uh, yeah, yeah the rooster sound effects are awesome. You know, and they're not even sound effects. They're actual roosters. I wish I could show you. They're like right over there. Um, that's so awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I, you know, so I did a whole bunch of different odd jobs. When I was 16, I actually was an exchange student in South America. I lived with a host family for a year and went to school in Chile. So, uh, wow. so that changed everything because, um, yeah, because you, I didn't speak Spanish when I went down there. My host family didn't speak English. So the first couple of months was really difficult. Uh, you learn the language to survive. It's a whole completely different culture. And they just, I mean, nowadays when you hear about kids saying, oh, I'm going to go study abroad in like Spain or France, you know, it's such a, it's, it's not, I don't want to discredit it or anything, but man, when they do that, they send you over to a school where you're, you're in classes with other English speaking kids, the teacher mm. speaks English. It's not, they didn't do that for me. They like, you fly down to South America, you get to the airport, your host family picks you up, they throw you in the school system and they say, hey, see you in a year. Like <clears throat> there is no special treatment. Like you have to, you have to learn so the language to learn. Your host family spoke nothing but Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And Chilean Spanish is really difficult to learn. Um, if I would have gone to somewhere like Guatemala, it would have been a different story because they speak clearly, you know, it'd be as if some German exchange student wanting to learn how to speak English would come over to the United States and, and learn, you know, have a family in Nebraska, you know, something with, you know, just a clear sort of accent, but, uh, but not in Chile, man. That's like, that's like 
the German exchange student going down to the deep South Louisiana Bayou and learning how to speak English that way. It's just all slang and um, real fast. It's just real slurred. I don't know. It's how, crazy. How did you say I want McDonald's? <laughs> or, <laughs> yo quiero comer, yo quiero McDonald's. Right? Like, uh, and by the way, they say for anybody that didn't know Spanish, that though, when you first got there, dude, that's what I mean. Like, no way. Like you just, you, you learn how to say I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of drawing on a notepad. Cause by, back then, you know, no, this was 96. So no cell phone, no Google translate. Like right? you carry around a little dictionary with you and you, your sentences take 15 minutes to complete because you have to look up every single word. Uh, yeah. But what I learned is that one, once you get over that hump, yeah, um, all of these doors open up and, and, and everything is downhill from there and it's so much easier. So it's worth, it's worth the climb. Uh, wow. And yeah, and the, that has helped that just that experience, that entire experience of being able to adapt to people and, uh, and, and understand different cultures and ask questions and figure out like with you and me, when you and I first spoke, like one of the things is immediately to try and find something in common. We had a bunch yeah. of stuff in common and that's yeah. kind of, you learn how to do that in the schoolyard and, you know, Colegio Crep, which is where I went to school down there. How were, how were you? Uh, and, and first, okay, back up. Why? What made you go, Hey, I think I'd like to go to chile and be a an exchange student they uh well i was a year ahead right so i started i started school a year early so i went through the entire all the way through 11th grade a year ahead and uh and so i could take the year and then come back and repeat my senior year so that's what i ended up doing and uh my my dad was a big traveler he was an executive vice president of sales for a big energy company so he did a lot of traveling overseas and, and created contracts and stuff for different power plants and things. And so he was familiar with travel and wow. we saw this as a, and I did it through Rotary International, which was awesome because they set you up and they teach you about being a, a, a positive role model and a, and a representation of the United States. So wow. having that, it was just super cool. Very, very cool experience. Wow. So yeah. what, how did your parents feel about like, Hey, let's ship our kid off to South America. There's no violence there ever <laughs> for a year, for a year. And, uh, for a year. and, and Chile had just gotten over the, like the Pinochet sort of era. So, um, what's that, what's that? What is uh, it was, it was a dictator essentially that oh. ruled for a period of time. Oh. Um, yeah, no big deal, but yeah, but that was all, that was all sort of Jeez. worked itself out in a way. Um, so it was very safe, right? There was no real danger in any way, shape, or form. But I, and I lived with a fantastic family, and uh, and they took really good care of me. I got real sick when I got down there. In fact, <laughs> I, a, I got I got mono um, because I was because you know when you're leaving, I'm 16 years old. You're leaving for a year, I was kind of dating this girl and we were making out hardcore before I left and stuff. And she had mono, but she said the doctor said it was okay. And so I didn't really know. And it takes like two weeks to incubate in your system before it actually surfaces. Wow. And, uh, and so I got down there and I started getting really sick. And that was tough because not only could you not, could you not speak the language, but you also were just real sick and no one knew what to do when you were in a different place. And oh man, it was just, uh, crazy but yeah rotary international self service above self it's a great i've made so many friends through rotary wow so so the chick you were dating in pittsburgh gave you mono yeah and um and and convinced you somehow that it was okay <laughs> yeah doctors have cleared me i'm no longer contagious i'm like yeah you know and oh my God. Uh, and then and then two weeks later uh, I got it and I had it for about a month and a half. And so, um, wow. so yeah, so you, they, and you know, they don't really get that too much down there. So I was essentially quarantined just like we are now. I was, I was not able to leave my room for like a month and a half. Um, what? And, and so, and it's like, what would you do? Cause again, no internet really. Um, and all of the television is in Spanish. So I didn't speak any Spanish. So I actually learned how to, 
play the guitar. My uh, the host dad had a guitar, and I learned how to play, and I've been now playing for like the last uh, like twenty five years. So so that's cool. I play guitar too. I've played since I was seven, and so I don't even know how many years that is, but a long time. <laughs> but the the so here's what I don't get, man. I have two daughters one's 14 and one is 10 and i cannot imagine putting either one of them on a plane sending them to south america with the internet and really like communications at an all-time high obviously i still would be like no bueno what do you think the worst case scenario would be they die from what i don't know Play it out. Some Chilean dictator killing them. The problem, the probability of that's pretty low. But I can tell you that what they would get out of it is a really, really strong sense of self, right? Yeah. A confidence when they come back. Not to mention the language skills, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a different person when I came back. So much more mature. Have you ever spent any time with um, wow. anybody from Israel? Like, any? Do you have any Israeli friends? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, you ever talk to them about their time in the military? Uh, yeah. I just had somebody on the show last week. Yeah. yeah that, that she was in. Yeah. Or no, she wasn't. She actually moved to the states before before that age. So, yeah. Well, when the, it's the same idea. Like, uh, you know, they go in after high school to the military, yeah. and they come out, and they're just, you know, way completely more mature. Different. Exactly. Yeah. Completely yeah. different. So that's yeah. how what it was for me. But you and, and you were sixteen, so yep. so you went down there, and and your parents didn't know this host family. I'm assuming. I mean, no, no, they didn't. I mean, they we didn't go way back. Like, no, 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 not at all. Um, we communicated though, and wrote each other letters, and so there was there was a there was a line of communication there. Um, yeah. But uh, and then they actually like after about eight months my parents actually came down, they flew down and they visited and we, oh. they stay, we all stayed together. So it was like a nice little reunion. Uh, nice. But yeah, it was just such a, can I swear on this show? I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to break any rules. <laughs> I, I don't judge. It was a kick-ass experience. It really was. That You can say that, dude. All right. I mean, you can say whatever. It's the internet, man. I just <laughs> try to keep it a little bit on the, but so, so, um, that's pretty amazing, actually, thinking it through and seeing it from that perspective. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but a year, man, I don't even know if I could handle that. But whatever. So you did it for a year. Yep. And and it it completely changed your life, is what you said. And I I came back and um, and I just had different thoughts about life and where I was going, and I ended up going to Denison. Uh, university undergrad and majored in Spanish. Yeah, from and right, from right there here in, in Ohio. Yeah, in like actually real close, real close to you. Um, about, about an hour or so. Yeah, and uh, and after that, instead of getting a job out of college, I went and joined the tall ship industry. I went and packed up a sea bag, and there's a ship. I don't know if you have you ever been to Erie, Pennsylvania. My wife is from Erie, Pennsylvania. Really? Okay, so you know if you go down Front Street all the way to the water in Presque Isle, there's the no. Erie Maritime Museum. She would know. I do not. Yeah. All right. Well, so there is. There's a big museum down there, and yeah. there's a big ship, a sailboat, um, okay. that's a that's like a recreation, a replica, but a working replica of the Niagara, which was a really famous ship in the Battle of 1813 on Lake Erie. Yeah. And, uh, and so I packed up a sea bag, and I joined that thing for months. I lived on that boat and slept in hammocks and there was no running water. And I learned how to sail these giant pirate ship looking. Things. There she is. She knows what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. So it's a, the Bring right there. yep. And it's, and it's a cool museum too. So if you've never been in that museum to anybody that's listening, it's a really, really cool museum. Um, but uh, yeah, the Traverse city. In fact, the Manitou, I have a lot of friends that uh, are the captain of the Manitou. And that's straight out of Traverse City. Uh, wow. So, uh, so that's wow. what I did. And then I, I lived, my entire 20s were spent in the tall ship world. And I sailed all over the world on these big boats. Uh, did you ever go back to Chile? 
Am I saying that right, Chile? Yeah, Chile? yeah, yeah. No, and I, I, I've never been back. I, I want to, but I've never been. Wow. Yeah. So could you do? I, so you speak fluent Spanish as a result of spending a year and. <laughs> Dude, I can't even imagine, like, you show up in a foreign country, you do not speak the language at all. I just can't imagine, like, what the, what the, <laughs> like, yeah. you just said, yeah, I guess you have to, that, that's where the experience, the, the, um, the experience comes from is you have to adapt and figure it out. 100%. Like, you gotta, you gotta figure it out. You're on your own. Uh, yeah. And, and. And it's, it's just like one of the things is that we, and we talked about this when we discussed it last time, like you got to learn how you learn. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And, and, uh, and that, that kind of situation teaches you, you have no choice. What's crazy immersion. Exactly. Um, what's crazy is that when we left, right. I can't remember where I flew out of. I think I flew cause we were in Pittsburgh at the time. I flew down to Miami and then from Miami, all of these other Rotary students from various parts of the United States all came together, and we all had one single flight down to Chile, right? Santiago is the capital down there, so we fly down to Santiago. And then once we got there, everybody split up. They all had different places. Some went into the south, north, some stayed in Santiago. I went all the way to the coast in a little town called Quilpue. Um, How did you get – I mean, did they, they, the family picked you up there? Yeah, the family was waiting for me with a big sign and everything. And it was just yeah. like, a, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it was, it was really cool because they, uh, they showed up and they had a, a sandwich. I'll never forget this. You know, they showed up with a big sign and everything and Josh and we hugged and, and I had no idea what they were saying. That first, like that whole experience, leaving all of your friends and family, which was a really emotional thing. Yeah. And then f doing this flight, right? 12, 14 hours. I can't remember how long it took to get down there landing, having the family show up, not understanding a word that they are saying to me at that point in time, right? They showed up and they had a sandwich, like white bread, it was just white bread with ham and cheese and mayo with the crust cut off, right? So they handed me that and a coffee. And uh, I had, and I really, I mean, I'd had a sandwich before, but I'd never had really coffee before. And that was the first time that I'd ever <laughs> drank coffee. And that and, and that was a perfect mental switch for me. I was like, dude, you are not, you are, you're not in Kansas anymore. You have to like, or you have to adapt or die now. So, jeez, oh man. And, uh, oh, dude, they're, so they, <laughs> they hand you a, they, like they drug us. So they, from the, the coast, they brought a ham and cheese and mayonnaise sandwich. Yep. They, they drove, home. they drove from, they drove from Kilpue, which was a couple of hours into Santiago. Right. And they were waiting for me at the airport with this food and a coffee. And, uh, and I remember I got back and they showed me the house and they showed me around and, um, showed me my room and everything. And I just slept. I was so tired that I just, oh. Mono. I just slept for like, no, 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 it wasn't. The mono hadn't even kicked in yet. Oh, um, but I was just tired from the experience. It was really emotionally jarring, like the whole thing. And then just being dumped into a different culture and a different situation, not understanding. Um, I slept for like 18 hours after that. I slept for like almost a full day. And I finally woke up and, uh, and then got to work trying to understand Spanish. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, so. I'm still, I'm stuck on the sandwich, man. Like, did, was it, was it in a cooler or did yeah. they, just like yeah, they, they wrapped it up plate? in tinfoil and stuff and, and gave it to me, you know, cause this was the first time that they'd ever hosted uh, somebody from the United States. So they had no idea what to expect either. And uh, I'm just thinking like how nasty could a sandwich get on a two hour car trip? <laughs> it was good. It was good. <laughs> oh, they took care that? of it. They took care of it. But but yeah, no, it was like, man, it was, uh, and they were so sweet and, um, wow. and it was just, so that, that fundamentally changed my life, that whole, that whole experience. And, and, uh, the, and the, so the co now coffee, the coffee industry down there is big, right? Isn't it? Or is that, I mean, in Chile, is there, is there, do they, as far as like roasting? Yeah. It, to yeah. be honest, I have no idea. Um, wow. the, uh, I wasn't a big coffee drinker and then I just kind of got, 
I got hooked. When they drink it down there, they usually drink it black with a lot of sugar. And so, yeah. you know, I didn't know the difference, to be honest. I was like this 16-year-old kid. The, the three, there's four things that you can't do when you're down there. Um, and they call it the four Ds, right? No drinking, no drugs, no driving, and no dating. Right? Oh, wow. You can't do those four things. None of that. No, no. Wow. And if, if you do and they catch you, like it's ground to be kind of spelled out of the country sort of thing, um, oh. which of course you do all of them in some way, shape or form. Uh, <laughs> but, but you're also um, not allowed to leave the country. So you're on a really special student visa and you can't leave and come back. So you're able to stay there for a year, but you're there. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, oh, wow. but anyway, but anyway, I was going to say the only reason that, that it's important for me anyway, was that some of those people, when we all came down to Santiago and split up, some of them stayed in Santiago. Like that's where their family was, you know, they, oh. so they lived. But Santiago was a place where it was very, very easy to get around with English. You know, it's a modern uh, city. And, and so, so they never really, these kids never really experienced the, um, the tension and the, the hardships of having to get over, not having that crutch of, uh, of English to fall back on. And eight months later, eight months later, they came back and, uh, uh, and they couldn't speak a word of Spanish, right? It was just embarrassing. Like how in the world are you going to go live in another country for almost a year and not speak a word of the foreign not language? Not a word? Nope. Cause, cause it's just so much easier to speak English. And so their and host family spoke English. They must've. And then, and then when you get down there, you find that when they know that you're from the States, everyone wants to practice their English with you. So you have to get really comfortable with telling people, no, no, like, I, I appreciate it, but I'm, I'm here to learn Spanish. Can we please speak in Spanish? And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. JR says, have you had any contact with the Chilean sponsor family since you came back? Yeah, of course. Uh, in fact, um, unfortunately, the host mom, uh, Ruth, she ended up passing away like about two years ago. Um, um, and the father's still there. And I watch, I mean, we're all, we're all connected on Facebook. So I watch everybody grow up and it's just, it's really cool to see. Wow. How yeah. many kids did they have? Three. But um, one of them, there was a boy and he was my age at the time. And he actually came to the States at the same time. So we just sort of sw switched. Oh. Uh, yeah. Did he stay with your family? No, no, oh. he, but he stayed close. He actually stayed up. Uh, if you're familiar with Latrobe, Pennsylvania, he was up near there. Wow. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So it was super cool experience. Looking back on it, you know, I'll say that. I'll be like, yeah, yeah, it was no problem. But actually, in the heat of the moment, it was, it was of course, super difficult. Could you have said, I, I, I want to go home? At any time. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they don't. They wouldn't keep you there. But, but uh, you, you didn't give up. You stayed and tough through it. You know, you dude, that's freaking awesome. So you come back, you finish up high school. What about the chick that gave you mono? Did you dump her? Like, say I can't. We uh, we're still friends, but uh, but yeah, that's that's about it. <laughs> I I don't know if I ever really told her back then. Um, but uh, yeah, that was man. That I was, almost that was died in deal. Chile because of you. Thanks. That was a, it was such a big it was such a big deal down there. Um, wow. But yeah, yeah, it was so. I mean, that kicked that kicked off my sort of sense of adventure. Yeah. And uh, and then ever since then, I just kind of feel like I've led a pretty abnormal life. Yeah. So so talk about let's talk about you. You came over to Ohio, which was probably the smartest thing you've ever done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I might be biased. Um, you came over to um, Granville, Ohio, which is a really, if, for anybody that's never been there, Granville is a, a quaint little, just beautiful little Midwest town with this great college there, Denison University. You went to Denison and you studied what? Not Spanish. Yeah, no, I majored in Spanish. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Did we yep. talk about that? <laughs> well, like I was an econ major up until junior year. Okay. And then I went to, to, I studied in Spain in Valencia. So I lived in Valencia again with another host mom. 
Um, but I did that for like uh, four or five months. And, um, and there was an error, like, I don't know, it's some miscommunication with the way that the credits were going to transfer in the school that I was going to in Valencia. So when I came back to Denison, none of the econ credits that I had taken, any of those classes counted towards my major. But what they did count towards was a Spanish major. So at the end, like at the end, I had to flip it to a Spanish major just to graduate on time and double time it. Uh, so I did that. And then, yeah. And then after I graduated, just went off to see. You, so yeah. you go, you went, okay. So you go to college, you go up to Erie, Pennsylvania, yep. which I've been there once with my wife. And I was like, what is going on in this town? Not a lot, like not a lot. And but so you, you went there. What in the world? How do you go from, Hey, I love going to South America and learning Spanish. And now I think I'm going to go on a, maritime adventure i mean it's just i like i i knew that i wanted to be on the water and why how did you know that you know you just you i just felt it like i had been on vacations and stuff where we were fishing and i said to myself man this is i need to do this i need to have this in my life somehow in some way shape or form it needs to be there and uh and at the time at the time yeah you're getting you're getting all kinds of flack for ripping on erie huh uh <laughs> So uh, at the time, the Brig Niagara took volunteers. They said, look, just give us three weeks of your time and we will teach you everything that you need to know about sailing for free. And wow. I said, why the hell not? And I did. And I stayed way longer than that. I stayed like three and a half months. I participated in their downrig. I'm 39. Um, and, uh, and, um, and, and after that, like that got me into a mindset. Um, and, uh, and, and so after that, like whole experience, I ended up getting a paid job on another ship that was sailing out of the Great Lakes. And then we rounded around if you've ever been out the Gas Bay Peninsula and the, the St. Lawrence Seaway. Like, yeah, I do. I do that at least once every six months. Good, good. It's good for you. The, I've the never done it, dude. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. So you, you can sail out of the Great Lakes, right? So okay. the Great Lakes are connected to the Atlantic Ocean. And, uh, and you, have to go through, you have to go through a series of locks called the Welland Canal, and you have to sail up the St. Lawrence, um, the river. And then... Um, and, and how big is this boat that you're on? Uh, 140 feet. That's big. That's pretty yeah. big. That's it's called the, the Dennis Sullivan, three-masted square topsail schooner. Um, wow. Anyway... So we did that and then we rounded around and we, were, we went into Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, and then from there, we ran celestial navigation trips where we taught people how to essentially navigate with the sextants and the, from the stars and charts and stuff. And we would sail from, we would sail from Halifax to Bermuda, Bermuda to the Bahamas. And wait, then, wait, wait, wait. Back up, Josh. Did you just say you learned how to sail by the stars? Yeah, that's a thing. So sometimes we would even shut off all of the electronics on the boat and just navigate just celestial navigate no way right? yeah are you serious yeah man yeah <laughs> well you've never done that what's what are you doing with yourself <laughs> right. ken right yeah yeah no i try to do that at least you know every couple <laughs> weeks no yeah. dude like I, nobody's i've never heard anybody talk about i navigated the oceans via the stars yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like people think of celestial navigation like you just look at the stars and, you know, hold your thumb out and you're just like, all right, you know, it's like there. I feel like I'm going there. Like, that's not kind of how it works. It's <laughs> it's a lot of math, to be honest. Is um, it really? Yeah. But uh, but anyway, and yes, we did have GPS, but the the idea was to not use it. We were teaching this group of people to not use GPS. Did that Gas Bay Peninsula is awesome. Throwback to the 1900 seaside towns. Exactly. There are places up there as you round around the Gas Bay Peninsula on the northern side, Les Michens, um, Montan, like all these tiny little French Canadian towns that are unbelievably beautiful. It's like a cross between a 1900s French villa and a and the moon. <laughs> like it's just it's all barren but beautiful at the same time. Uh, and then once you get around to the Gaspé Peninsula and into the Gulf of St. Lawrence, 
I've never seen so many dolphin. Like that's one of the one times in my life that I've been sailing where we were surrounded by literally at least a thousand dolphin all swimming wow. together. Uh, and it was just everywhere, like dolphin and dorsal fins as far as you could see. Um, so that's a, it's a, such a beautiful, beautiful place to go and kind of hang out for a while and sail by, sail by um, through the Canso Straits and then into Halifax. Dude, yeah. that is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was cool. Yeah, sorry, we got we got people uh, all kinds of craziness happening. Uh, so uh, yeah, but that's so that's what I did, and then it was from there, and then I ended up I ended up doing up and down the East Coast for a while uh, on different boats, and then we sailed. We took like we took this group of high school students from Florida. We left out of Riviera Beach. We sailed over to Bermuda. Uh, no, sorry. We sailed over to the Bahamas. Like the, the yeah. southernmost island is called Great Anagua. And, uh, and it's a really cool place. They have like one of the largest collections, the largest flocks of pink flamingos. Um, and, uh, and so they <laughs> bring on the Outrock and Christopher Cross. Yeah. Yeah, you, you really do. I mean, it's, uh, we didn't What's play that. that while we, I don't even Christo know. Christopher Cross sang that song, Sailing. Oh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And the yacht rock is like a whole genre of music. Um, oh my God. but anyway, yeah, you know, we just did a whole bunch of stuff, sailed to Jamaica, Honduras, Belize back, and then across the Atlantic, spent a lot of time in the North sea up in Denmark and, and Sweden and Norway and, uh, raced the places and then ended up getting shipwrecked off the coast of France. We were 80 miles off the coast of France and the whole boat got destroyed in a storm and what? ended up ended up having to go in and I lived in France for months as we rebuilt the boat and the rig and uh, just like all kinds of, all kinds of neat, weird, crazy stories. What, uh, wait, did it, did it sink? It didn't sink. It, the masts, both masts crashed down onto the deck and cut through the cap rail and started sliding out to sea. And we ended up pulling everything on board as best we could. And I mean, just for sheer luck, those masts, and all of the associated rigging, like there's so much stuff, sails, lines, blocks, um, everything, like wire rope, it all came crashing down, but it missed the engine controls, it missed the wheel, there's the big ship's wheel. Yeah. So we were able to kick on the engines after we checked to make sure that we weren't taken on water and, uh, and motored in and lived in a little town called Saint-Nazaire, which if you're familiar with the western coast of France, it's like the Loire River where Nantes is, it's like a little seaside, little seaside uh, um, town. And we stayed there and rebuilt the boat. So that's the kind of crazy shit that you, that happens to you. Dude, while you're sailing. I, I am literally blown away by this story. That that's insane. Like, uh, so, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so you're talking about sailing to the Bahamas and Belize and, and all these other places. How many of you were on this 140 foot, ship it depend it depended but probably between eight and 15 just okay. kind of and did you guys did you have to have like your passport sure did, what if you're just sailing past belize and you don't stop do you still like can they board your ship and say give me your passport or every uh every country there is a a demarcation line essentially so go out a certain number of miles I, I don't know what it is really for Belize, but like for us, I think it's three and then 10 and three and 12. Um, that's technically their waters, you know, anything inside that line. So okay. if you were to sail in there, potentially, I feel like, yeah, you, they could probably board you if they wanted to. But we never, if you're just sailing by, like they normally don't. Where they do actually is, uh, <laughs> is uh, when you sail between Cuba and Jamaica, like, like there's a, there's like a little, a little passage there yeah. and they'll, there's just coast guard cutters everywhere around there, you know, making sure that you're not smuggling drugs and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Wow. And of course you were. And of course. Yeah. Yeah. We had it hidden everywhere. <laughs> oh my God. How old were you when you did all that? Uh, let's see. When I started, I was 23 and by 26, I had enough sea time to get my captain's license. I took all of the tests and I got my Coast Guard captain's license. And then uh, at 26, I was the captain down here actually in Key West of an 80 foot two masted schooner called the Liberty. And then that 
first ship that I told you about, the 140 foot one that I sailed yeah. out of this, I ended up being the relief captain for that. Uh, and so that was cool because that was kind of like the first boat I ever started on. And then I was, then I worked my way all the way up to the captain. So, um, this right here is a great question that I would not have even, I wouldn't have thought of. What about pirates? Uh, so yes, you always hear like pirates of the Caribbean and stuff like that. We never had any problems at all. Never had any run-ins, anything like that. I feel like the most of the time it's not really worth their time because the risks are so high and you never know, you know, if you're going to hold up something, it's going to be like a super yacht. You want to make sure that they have money. It's not, uh, or, or like a cargo ship, you know, that has a bunch of containers and yeah. you know what that is. Uh, we were just this ragtag, like pirate ship looking thing. So nobody, nobody messed with us. <laughs> You're like, we were the pirates. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so uh, what about the, cause I, I have a buddy that, that, um, was in the Navy on a, I, I, he, he, he's been on the show, um, Justin. And, and, and he said that they, he actually, their naval vessel, these pirates tried to attack them and in um, Somalia. And yep. he was the gunner <laughs> and yeah. he was very accurate. And they, he, you know, they didn't obviously attack a, a U.S. naval vessel, which is just the dumbest thing. But when, when you're out, so you were all, so you went across the Atlantic in this, this hundred and four, in the 140 foot ship yeah it was it was a different boat but it was roughly the same size yeah about 150 feet so yep. i mean that's a pretty big ship but out in the middle of the ocean in some of these storms you get oh, dude i should send you some pictures uh like i managed to take a couple of shots with a disposable camera while while like there were some pretty massive storms and things like that um yeah and uh and whenever you see pictures of waves it never really gives them justice, right? Like it's, it, they just look smaller on, on photos, but this one picture, I'll send it to you. It is, we are just completely engulfed. I mean, the, the stern of the boat is huge. There's people in the background, so you can see some perspective and some scale. And then there's just swells that are 30 feet above us. Dude, um, I've seen, I like, I've seen you, there's YouTube videos of, of these, I mean, giant ships going through and just being, just they're they're I don't know what you call it the front of the ship yeah what's it bow. called the, the bow. bow it's like straight down and the waves went and it's like yeah and, and they come up and they go back down I'm yeah. like dude you went through that yeah and oh. you and you have to wear harnesses special harnesses um, and clip yourself into lifelines because rogue waves you hear those all the time they're a big deal and they can actually just come over the stern of the ship and wash you right off so you end up having to clip yourself in just just in case josh tell ken about the dinner table on the boat that stays level during the weaves there's a uh, like they have some some boats have tables that are gimbaled right so as the boat rocks the gimbling just keeps the table level so that you perceived it never never changes angles and everything's always level all the time uh yep you can put a glass of water on it'll stay fine Yep. Yeah. It won't fall off the table. Yeah. In theory, it just <laughs> depends on how, how violent it is. Uh, oh my but yeah. God. And that's that whole industry is just has, uh, um, that also was life changing. I learned a lot of the entrepreneurial skills that I've got because of the tall ship industry and communication and getting, you know, confrontation because it's not like a regular job, right? You, uh, um, white knuckles in those storms. I would be so scared. You are for the first couple you go through enough and you feel pretty confident that you can you can survive just about anything you guys are able to meet, to meet the fun guys yeah maybe who knows maybe we could do it sometime uh the uh but like the first couple squalls and storms yeah you're kind of like shitting your pants a little bit but you start to know you start to get to know the boat you start to get to know how it behaves you go through enough of those and you oh. you're not scared anymore you and besides like I don't know how to describe it. You, whenever you're in that situation, 
your mind, everything slows down and you just focus. You just focus on the bow. You focus on what needs to be done, the problem at hand. You're, you don't have time to be scared. I mean, it sounds super cliche, but it's the, it's the truth. You never feel anything. Now, one of the crazy things, though, that I will tell you is that if you're familiar at all with these boats, there is a bowsprit. It's the, it's the part of the bow of the boat, right? That stick that sticks out at an angle, yeah. right? And that's called the bowsprit. So as the boat is going along, right, it's going like this. And that bowsprit actually, depending on how big the waves are, it goes underneath the water, right? It's, it's 30 feet off of the surface of the water if the water was just level. What's but, it for? Why is it there? Because it allows you to have sails farther forward and balance the boat out. Ah. So because there's sails out there, there's a lot of times where you as a crew need to go out onto the bowsprit in really heavy weather and do something with the sails, oh, like dude. put them away or set them or whatever. And when in, and you're in really bad weather, what happens is that, is that you're, it's like an, an amusement ride. You can feel the bowsprit rising and falling. And when it's falling, you have a, you feel it. And as soon as you're about to go underwater, you grab on and you hold on and hold your breath and you get dunked underwater like 10, 12 feet and then come back up, right? Take a breath, do whatever you're doing with the sails, right? What? Do it again. And then the boat goes back down again. So you grab it, go down underneath the water and come back up. And you're just out there for as long as it takes to do whatever it is that you're trying to do out there. Are um, you like in a harness locked on to something or I would love to say yes, but half the time in the heat of the moment, you are you're just responsible for not fucking letting go. Just hold on to the boat. Like I that's really what it comes down to. It's a oh you know, we tried you try to be as safe as possible sometimes, but sometimes emergencies happen and you need to run out there and uh and so yeah, you just you just do what needs to be done kind of thing. Dude, that is insane. Yeah. Pam, I agree with Pam. That's just insane, bro. Yeah. yeah. Like, and and you're like, you're telling it like it's no big freaking deal. It was, it's easy. Again, like when I look back on it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. But I mean, in the in the moment, you're just totally focused. You do things on these boats that in retrospect, you're like, how in the world did I not die? <laughs> uh, you know, how many animals? Yeah, thank you, Doug. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like anybody would do well, the same thing uh, in my position if they were in that situation. So it's just, uh, yeah, just craziness. Dude, people don't put themselves in that situation as a rule. They general. should. They should. You'll learn a lot about yourself. <laughs> like, you know? hey, what'd you do today? <laughs> oh, I was clinging on to the whatever the hell that thing's called for my <laughs> life, going 12 feet under. That's yeah. insane. Then, I don't know if you can see. So that, yeah, that's a, uh, if you ever see somebody with an anchor tattoo, if they're an actual sailor that used to sig signi um, signify that you sailed across the Atlantic. And actually I did. And I got that in Copenhagen. Um, so wow. as soon as we got, as soon as we got to Denmark, I went and found this like super seedy tattoo shop and got that done. Yeah. Oh my God, dude. You might, <laughs> you might be my new hero. So, like that is insane, man. So, yeah. so when you get on a little, <laughs> I say a little, I, my, my wife's on here still. What, what's the size of your brother's boat? I think it's a 30, 35, 38 footer. I'm not sure, but you could probably sail one of those pretty yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, once you learn how to sail the really big ones, it's all the same theory. It's just way easier to do, you know, have the little ones and everything is the compact and you know, <laughs> you're, not, you're not going underwater 12 feet. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes you are like, uh, you know, depending mm -hmm. on the weather, those little boats too, they can get pretty violent, but, uh, uh, yeah, you just, I mean, oh it just, God. it just teaches you, teaches you confidence and, and wow. then you can handle any situation. Did you, did you ever, I, I, it's not a laughing matter, but did you ever have anyone go overboard that? Nope. Nope. Uh, we did. I was telling the story the other day to somebody. We did once have a passenger that we were off the coast of Hatteras and it was in the middle of the night and, and there was just a massive storm and, um, and we ended up having to drug her in a, like in a controlled way, but we had to knock her out because she came up on deck and she just saw the chaos and the um, the wind and the waves and everybody's screaming, not because they're 
they're panicking, but because that's what you have to do when there's a lot of wind, you got to scream commands at one another and make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, and she, she saw that and just freaked, freaked out. And so we ended up having to kind of just put her down for a little bit and she <laughs> slept for like 10 hours and woke up and we were in Charleston and, and then, uh, took her off the boat, but yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Wow. That is crazy, man. So, so, um, eventually you, 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 you don't do that anymore, right? No, now, uh, I live on a boat, but, uh, but now it's, um, just a, a 32 foot West sail and, um, and it's just North of New York city right now. So it's not quite the same, but I miss it. I do wow. miss the, I do miss it. Yeah, and I'll have to I'll have to come back one time and tell you. I mean, I I could just talk about this all day. I have so many stories about. Oh, you have to go. That's yeah. right. Shoot, man. Yeah, um, I completely forgot. I was so enthralled in your story, dude. And because you didn't even talk about the you're traveling <laughs> around the U.S. on a motorcycle and. Yeah. Wow. Story for another time. We'll, I know. We'll make, yeah. Wow. Dude, what a story. Everybody go follow Josh. Where's the best place to follow you? Uh, best place? I mean, you can find me on Facebook, just Josh Corporal, uh, yeah. or Saltwater CEO on Instagram. Dude, you're, you're a rock star, man. I want to have you back on. Look, my wife even says we would love to hear more. What <laughs> a great story, dude. Great yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Uh, hey, thanks for coming on. I'm going to end the, the live stream. Hang with me real quick, if you would. If, sure. Unless you got to bounce now, but um, hang on. Thank you for being on. We'll get you back on. Tell the rest of your story. Um, what an awesome story, dude. Thank you for being here. Yeah, See thank you. Guys you. Later. See ya. All right.